Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to our inaugural video cast here. Uh, it's, uh, we've got Hao Dang joining us and myself, Chris Kaminsky. If you haven't met Hao yet, Hao is our investment strategist on our team. And uh, he and I internally always uh, banter back and forth about what's going on in the markets, whether it be inflation items, supply chain, uh, what the Fed's doing. You know, we, we hold our own little internal bets on what we think is going to happen. Uh, and so we thought that we would record this and, and put it up for everybody to see as it's something that we talk about internally. And we thought it would be helpful for all of you to, uh, to, to listen in. So today we'll be talking about exactly that, inflation, supply chain, yield curve inversion, a lot of the things that are in the news right now. And uh, we, are, we are excited. So how I'll let you, uh, I'll let you kick us off. Let's, let's get started. Let's talk about inflation. How did we get here? Some history, where's inflation now? Yeah, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, all two of you, three of you, <laughs> as we build. <laughs> As and, we start. Uh, yeah, yeah. And inflation's at 7.9%, which is recent history, we've been at below 2%, right? And it, it's important to keep in mind the Fed's target is 2%. So believe it or not, prior to this, the Fed's been trying to push inflation uh, to that 2% target because we've been around 1.7, 1.8. And uh, that doesn't seem like a big gap, but it is actually pretty big. And it just shows you how big of a deal 8% is, right? So <clears throat> how we got here, I think the pandemic shutdowns globally, uh, we, we have China still locking down. That has a big issue with supply, um, specifically for chips, right? Or electronics. Um, stimulus was another component where we locked everything down, but how, how do we avoid recession, right? So stimulus from the government. Uh, Fed accommodation. That was another big thing where the Fed lowered the rates to spur spending, which is kind of odd. There's nothing to spend on, but, but but it made the Fed made borrowing so much easier. And as we came out of it, that that easy money policy was still very much in place. So as as people got out, they still had built up pent up savings right? They've been locked in their homes and they suddenly had access to cheap capital. And I think that that created this perfect storm of, of what we now know is persistent, like non-transitory inflation, right? Yeah. So interesting is, is pandemic lockdowns happen, Fed lowers interest rates, stimulus happens, people have money in the bank, but nowhere to spend it. And really no incentive to leave it in the bank either, right? That's one of the, the, Kind of the simple way to think about this is if your savings account isn't paying you anything, you're kind of incentivized to get the money out of there. Um, you know, we all remember back in the day when you could earn dollars in your savings account, you know, six, seven percent for a money market account. And, you know, it was worth keeping it there. 
Yeah. And so, you know, what an interesting sort of collision of events where people had money in the bank, nowhere to spend it, and also no incentive to leave it in the bank. Yeah. Now, what things are more expensive, but now we have wage inflation too. So, if, you know, if you want to chime in on that, that's, that's another big component. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things, and we're seeing that across really all industries, but, you know, driving around Seattle, for example, you'll see posted right on the, on the, the gas station, you know, it's, it's 17 bucks an hour, 18 bucks an hour, you know, the McDonald's, the Chipotle, these jobs are really pushing wages up significantly to, to get workers working. Um, I'm not seeing it as much anymore, but there'd be big banners out front of restaurants, you know, thousand dollar bonus for a, a line cook, uh, just trying to get people, people back in. Uh, and I think a lot of those people, at least from what I'm reading, have tried to change industries. You know, they've been in the hospitality business for so many years and they, now they have a little bit of money in the bank. So they have a little bit of time and they're saying, what if I pivot what I do? And there's so many other options today. I can drive an Uber and Uber and maybe not have to deal with, you know, customers at a restaurant, which we've all seen in the news that people are a little unruly sometimes at restaurants. So have you, uh, have you been into a restaurant lately? Uh, it's been a little bit. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes, I'm trying to remember the last time. Um, I guess we, 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 grab tacos at a local taco truck the other day. So that wasn't a restaurant. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last time. <laughs> well, I brought that up because the, yeah, restaurants have been one, it's noticeable the the poor staffing, right. And the, yeah. the wait times are just insane. Um, and that's, that's probably uh, common to see like a half empty restaurant and you're still waiting because it's, it's a people issue. It's a labor issue. Yeah. Yeah which is what's pushing wages up, right? You have to get people to come in to that industry. And I think that's, you know, really for the last decade, it's been the shareholder class, right? People that have owned Chipotle stock have done well. Uh, people working at Chipotle have not really received a raise and I'm not singling out Chipotle. I'm just using it as an example, uh, nor endorsing that we all go buy Chipotle stock. Again, just an example. Um, but, you know, I think that that is, is starting to change um, because we need to incent workers um, truckers are another industry. And I know you had some really interesting points about what's going on in the trucking industry right now. Yeah. We're referencing ourselves, our own newsletters. Um, the trucking <laughs> industry, we, one, it's a uh, hard labor, right? So a lot of, uh, older truckers, again, not so old in, in terms of other careers, but you know, 50 and older, they're retiring because it's such backbreaking work. Yeah. Um, the ones who aren't retiring are pretty, pretty uh, optimistically creating their own trucking companies, which is really great to see. So, um, but that takes time to get off the ground, right? To, to train other truckers and new news, right? Like literally just yesterday, Walmart's paying $110,000 for brand new truckers to yeah. train. Like a, that's more than Goldman Sachs pays for junior bankers. Isn't that interesting? So like let's you go. Get your internship on Wall Street, or yeah. you could go drive a truck, and you can yeah. Let's go work for Walmart. Like that's suddenly the the big, you know, out of not even college, out of high school. Wow! Like premier job. Wow. 
Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because for for years, those jobs, you know, people have gravitated towards higher paying jobs. And I'm air quoting there if you're listening in, you know, whether that be in, in technology or high levels of finance or, or you know, high levels of, of education, these kinds of things. And now, you know, with wage inflation, that pulls pulls people back in to to these these other uh, which was traditionally more, you know, lower paging, paying or, or blue collar jobs. I think a lot about the postal service. You know, I, I don't know anybody's postal carrier. Uh, I would I would hazard a guess that very few people have one that's under the age of fifty, right? And so young people aren't taking those jobs. Those wages have to go up, and then that incents people to take those jobs. Um, or the alternative is, you know, we meet this perfect retirement wave and robots deliver our mail, right? That could be the, 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 the other solution. But um, interesting to see, and I think this will be interesting over the next number of years, if, say, truckers have very sticky wages or if their wages actually do, in fact, come down. I think it's very hard to decrease wages. I think that's a sticky piece of inflation. Yeah, no one's taking a pay cut unless no. they're laid off. Exactly. But that, that kind of leads me to that next uh, media topic that you love, the great resignation. Yes, right? yes. What do you got to say about that? So I love that the media focuses on, on, on uh, bold things and, and gets us to click. And the great resignation is what's causing all of this. And, and I would say that that is partially true. Uh, but when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that new business starts are at all-time highs. Uh, and there's two metrics, how that you taught me. There's people that started a business and didn't really do anything with it. And then there's people that started a business and they have revenue such that they're now hiring people they're paying payroll taxes. And so you can see both of those metrics. Uh, and the second metric, which is the most important, meaning that that business is actually creating revenue and creating jobs, uh, is ha has spiked throughout the pandemic. Yeah, they, um, the Census Bureau calls it the high propensity business applications. Yeah. There we go, thank you. So I think what was previously in the news and, and, you know, different states took different approaches on their unemployment extensions, right? Some states said, let's continue to pay these unemployment benefits because our, you know, people need it. And some said, let's, let's stop those unemployment benefits because we need to get people back to work. And I think that when you think about that, it's like, yeah, of course, let's, if we, if we stop paying people for sitting on their couch, they'll go get back to work. The actual uh, uh, outcome was the opposite. The states that continued to pay unemployment benefits actually uh, had a, a greater share of people working. Um, so it's interesting how people respond to 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 those incentives and and, and maybe how sometimes uh, the what seems to be obvious isn't actually what happens. Um, yeah, well, it, it, let's dig into that because people who are making money sitting on the couch would probably want to get back to work, especially if they have kids, right? They being cooped up in the house yeah. with kids, as you'll probably find out really soon, it's not, <laughs> not fun. Um, I love my kids, just for the record, everyone. Um, but daycare, daycare is a big issue, right? Yeah. Well, there's a daycare shortage, daycare worker shortage. Schools are not closed, are open five days a week. Schools in a lot of areas have been closed, right? Unless, unless those things opened up. And you had a, one of those old, uh, old economy jobs, I use air quotes too, um, where you were, are physically required to go into work, right? You're either people facing in the leisure and hospitality industry. If there's no daycare, you're not going to work. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't care what the state says about your unemployment benefits. Um, if you have kids that are young, you're, you can't, you're not leaving them at home. 
right? To fend for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that was, I think, another big part of the equation that the states that were quick to cut, they just didn't address the other issues that working parents need filled up before they get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think which that's is then also, yep. And I think it's also leading to, hey, I, I'm going to leave my job, which I need to go into the place of business for, and I'm going to do something different, which I can do from home. And that worker flexibility, uh, you know, you've seen all corporations really pivot quickly to accommodate that, right? Because they would lose people because yep. people are saying like, I'm going to take that job over there because I need this flexibility at home for my family uh, or for me, uh, or I've tired of commuting two hours one way. Um, you know, that's, that's real. And so, you know, big corporations have pivoted quickly and that's in part what's then spurring this, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do my own thing and start a company, uh, which is largely good. I mean, small business powers America. These are really good things. Um, and if people can earn a higher wage there, provide additional jobs, that trickle-down effect is very, very good. And in this case, trickle up, right? Because lower earning and they're happier workers, hopefully, are typically spending more than their paycheck. They, mm -hmm. you know, prior to the pandemic, we had the lower income um, spending 110% of their wages. Yeah, yeah, right? that's right. So the top, what, 10% spends 79% of their wages. So where does that other 21% go, mm -hmm. right? So the, the, the equation has swapped between the highest earners and the lowest earners, which again, I think in the long run could be very good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for the record, what we're, what we're summarizing here is that people aren't quitting their jobs because they have too much money in the bank and they're sitting on their couch doing nothing. They're quitting their jobs to start their own businesses and it's more fulfilling, businesses. right? It's more, yeah. In that in that instance, it's more fulfilling, yeah, um, for them. And so it's it's uh, it doesn't appear that the country has this problem of people just sitting around. Yeah, uh, for yeah. the record. <laughs> right. Well, uh, well, let's break down inflation. What's hot? Yeah. Right. And what's not? Yeah. yeah. So what what's hot in your mind? Uh, well, gas what's prices is the most obvious one. Okay. You know, when I filled up the other day and it, it crested over 70 bucks, it was like, whoa, that's, that's different. So oil peaked at, uh, oil per barrel peaked at $130. It just dropped 30% to 97. Why are gas prices still high? <laughs> what I was reading this the other day, I heard this on a podcast and they, they go up like a rocket and they come down like a feather, something like that. And, uh, I don't know why that is. Why does that happen? Why are they so quick to increase? But then, you know, you never really see gas prices go down that fast. Yeah. If I'm a gas station owner, if I see a tick up, I'm running to update my prices. Sure. If I see a tick down, I'm suddenly got a little hitch in my step. I'm walking a little bit slower. Yeah. But if people are still filling up at my station, do, do I have a ton of incentive to lower the prices? It's interesting because sometimes you'll be at two gas stations right across the street and one will be yeah. like 10 cents less than the other and they're both full. Yeah. You know, and so at, at what point, and I don't know, this is probably an economics question, right? At what point does everybody go to that other gas station? Is it 20 cents? Is it 30 cents? Is it 50 cents? What is the number, right? That, that makes the line out the door there, like the Costco gas line that we've all sat in for so many minutes. <laughs> say five, five cents a gallon. Yeah. To, say, yeah. to save a little bit of money. But then when you're the Chevron in the shell and they're 10 cents apart and you just pick whichever one has a shorter line or whichever one you have a gas <laughs> rewards card at. Well, Costco right. has a differentiation appeal to it. I guess if you're paying $60 a year, you're entitled to saving a few pennies on gas. Sure, sure.
Yeah. But I, I'm I'm looking at a recent um, survey where where people are looking to cut back on first dining out because things are more expensive. But mm. right behind it is like a close second is cutting back on driving. Hmm. Right. Is that possible? Hmm. Well, working from home helps that. I mean, I we probably drive once a week. You know, we don't really go anywhere. Um, it's, it's, you know, we, we both work from home. We go to the store, you know, the grocery store, whatever it is once a week or something. And so we're not in our car every day. And, and, you know, I think about years ago or, or just, you know, people that I've known and, you know, you have two cars, two people, you're driving somewhere every day, you're commuting, you're paying tolls, you're filling up gas. Uh, it's different now. You don't need to yes. do that. But if you're driving once a week, the roads are pretty busy, right? Yeah. I actually just read a report that the traffic is back in Seattle. Seattle apparently has one of the worst traffic number, some of the worst traffic numbers in the country. Um, we all have our opinions about Seattle drivers. At least I have my own. But, um, <laughs> but I, I can attest that when I was driving the other day, I was, I was taking a friend to the airport. Um, yeah, there's a ton of traffic out there. So people are driving. Yes. So is it possible for them to drive less? I, I was kind of leading you to that because i'm in sacramento for everyone's you know knowledge but yeah the traffic hadn't really died down after the lockdowns either right and um is it possible for people to drive less they tend to drive they didn't drive more when gas prices were cheap because there's literally nowhere to go yeah but gas prices are expensive it's coming out of their household budget somehow right Definitely Are driving less, right? It takes from one budget to and pays to the other. I get it, but I don't. I don't know if it's possible, right? I where are you driving on the free? Where are these people going? I mean, <laughs> if the major, I'm just thinking about in in Seattle. Are, are two, you know, Amazon and Microsoft have not fully come back in the office yet, right? So between the two, there is a hundred thousand people that are going in and out of those offices on a, on a daily basis. Yet that's a, you know, you'd think that's a lot of cars, right? But those companies haven't fully returned to the office yet. So like, where are these people going? Are all these people driving to Boeing and Boeing is in office? Sure. They make planes. I get that. But like, where, where are these people commuting? Uh, sure. There's places to go now. That's probably yeah. the big difference, hmm. but yeah, I still see people driving in very big vehicles with in the revving, like gas is three dollars a gallon all of yeah. a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it it it's easy to complain about. That's what I'm getting at. It's 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 I think it's something to complain about without really making adjustments, at least yet. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about used cars. Used cars spiked in terms of price. New cars also spiked, but used cars spiked more. Is that still going on? I know I'm kind of referring to, you know, January, February numbers. Are used cars still really elevated? So March, it looked like it came down. February uh, was relatively flat from its peak. Uh, mm -hmm. March is coming down, which is probably a good sign. But again, short-term noise. I Again, we, we always say we really don't know, but the one month doesn't make a trend. Sure. But we're seeing the volume of used car sales and the, the prices come down slightly. Sure. Um, sure. Probably mm. because cars aren't, don't tend to be repeat purchases, right? I'm mm -hmm. not buying a car every month or every year. Mm -hmm. So once I get my car, I'm set for three or four years, five years, right? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, that could be part of it. And it could be part that cars have gotten to a point where I can't, we can't afford it. Um, or m- most people looking for a car can't afford it. So they're yeah. doing what they can to delay the car purchase, which, mm-hmm. which I'm seeing more, more and more people surveyed for, but, um, you know, it's where money is, right? There's still spending on cars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. If I'm driving less, do I need the new car now or can I buy it next year? That kind of thing too. Yeah, and the other hot button, housing. Yeah. Right? Which um, is crazy across the country. I mean, almost not, every yeah. city has gone up like a lot, double digits. Yeah, rural areas. Yeah. Right? People are looking for space, looking for land, looking to get out of uh, urban areas. And getting back into urban areas because I know rents in nearby San Francisco are getting getting high again. Yeah, yeah. New York came back like crazy too. I mean, it was, you know, you, we all remember seeing those articles when the pandemic started and New York emptied, right? And then the rents went down by 30, 40, 50%, I think even at times. People moved in because it was their opportunity to move in and now the city's hustling and bustling again. And the rents are going up by 30 and 40%. And so yeah. it's like, and oh, the wait, the city's back. It's going to be okay. It's not dying. Yeah. And, and, you know, this has happened multiple times in history when suburbs started getting built and the fear was, oh my God, everybody's going to move to suburbs and American cities are going to die. And then it didn't actually happen. Um, and so uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I predicted that. I predicted that uh, uh, <laughs> New York was going to come back. I, I love New York. It's a great city. And, uh, you know, people want to live there. It's a cool place to live. So um, anyway, we'll chalk that one up as a win on my side. Yeah, I know we talked to- <laughs> about this uh, just so everyone knows we talk about business and and economy in in our spare time so this is uh um some of this is repeat for us but you we've talked about your just-in-time economy why has that been well, probably an origination of what the issue is now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think uh what nobody predicted was the speed at which the supply chain said differently, the speed at which purchases would recover. So we all remember, you know, March of 2020, economy lockdown. I remember looking out the windows and it was, we were living downtown Seattle and, you know, no cars. You know, Amazon went home, which was all of the traffic. Construction stopped, which is all the other traffic because there's a ton of construction downtown at all times. And it was just a ghost town. And then for a period of, what, six weeks, two months, everybody kind of just, sat at home and worked, you know, worked to the extent that they could. And then people started spending, but they spent differently. And the problem is what happened when all the spending stopped is the factory shut down, right? It's like when demand stops, we have to stop building the product because we live in a just-in-time economy, meaning, you know, you swipe your card and you buy something and it was almost predicted that you were going to buy that salad because there's more salad on the truck coming where there's a couch that's ready to get shipped and that kind of thing. And so now, you know, now to buy a couch, you could be six months, nine months. And the catch up of that, because we don't really have the capacity to go faster than the perfect amount of time being a just-in-time economy, it's actually very hard to catch up. So I think that's been one of the most interesting things. And, and that's where this transitory inflation numbers or, or, or comments rather, have been thrown out is that, well, you know, the reason why there's no couch sales this year is because everybody wants one and it's a nine month wait. And so, yes, I think that that is a transitory thing, you know, component, right. Yeah. Component, right. 
you know, used car prices. I don't think you could, used car prices will be up 20% or whatever they are forever, right? That, that's, that's not sustainable. But as we get through this and kind of people make their purchases and, and the supply chain does catch up, uh, you know, at least those types of those areas of the economy start to return back to normal. Yeah, well, think about Hertz and Enterprise Rent-A-Car, right? Yeah. When no one was driving, these these companies were doing what they can to sell their inventory because they couldn't rent a car if their life depended on it. Great point. Now the issue is they have a fleet to rebuild in a matter of months, right? But hindsight's like, well, they never should have sold the cars. But yeah, and you can thank our officials by having open-ended shelter-in-place calls because we didn't know we really didn't know right yeah. how long we're we going to shut down for um now we're running into people renting u-hauls i know you're going to hawaii right you're gonna yeah. rent a u-haul to go go around i didn't we were able to get a, a, a car <laughs> okay. actually and and more of a normal car and it wasn't totally a ripoff uh but i had been reading about people renting cars you know n- nothing special just a basic car to get around for 400 bucks a day down there because there's a limited number of cars on the island and and when things started to open up everyone wanted to take a vacation and rightfully so uh i think that's healthy people should do that um but then you know island runs out of cars people are renting u-hauls people are taking trucks out of a home depot you know paying by the hour because it's cheaper than renting from hertz or budget or wherever uh that's transitory that's not going to happen forever but that's a component of the economy that you know, when when there's no demand and then there's a huge amount of demand, the prices shoot up in order to really just capture the profit profits. I mean, that's that's how yeah. it works. It's been a rent rent seeking, right? There's a big convention exactly. in town. Hotels spike up the rates. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, so, you had an interesting point here as well on on electric cars because I know that there's a lot of backlogs there in terms of orders. Like people are really excited about moving towards this, and maybe high gas prices will accelerate that as well. Um, but you were talking to me the other day about, about chips, you know, chips required in, in electric cars and kind of new things versus regular old internal Sem- semiconductor chips, not potato chips. Like we're, we're talking electronics, right? Yes. Yes. Electronics. So, yeah. 3000, um, semiconductors on average go into an electric vehicle, um, a Jeep, whoever owns Jeep nowadays, um, just announced the, the Wrangler, right. Mm-hmm. Is now an EV version. F-150 is an EV. Um, Prior to that, or right now, it's about 300 chips for internal combustion engine. So we had a tenfold chip requirement. Even if we didn't have a pandemic lock everything down, we probably would have ran into a chip shortage because every company is trying to make an electric vehicle, Mm -hmm. which is suddenly state of the art. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. So that probably won't be permanent, but it won't be uh, a fix in one year, even two years. I think we're going to see a car shortage for a while because sure. yeah, used car companies, um, I think it is Hertz who, who uh, went into a contract with Polestar, who's uh, mm-hmm. an EV maker and they're buying 60,000 vehicles. So that's- they did, they did that with Tesla too. I think they yeah. did a hundred thousand with Tesla. So wow, that's, a, that's yeah. like a conversion of their whole- car line and who are they competing with me and you who might need a car right they're just crowding out other parts of the market and that's because they sold their whole fleet right and they they 
they have to buy tens of thousands of cars. I guess what's interesting about that too is that selling an entire fleet of gas-powered cars should put downward pressure on car prices. And maybe there's just so much demand. And it did. Okay, interesting. Yeah, in 2020. Sure, sure. Yeah, who, but who was really buying, buying cars in 2020? Yeah, they sold at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're now they're buying at the wrong time. And they're causing, inadvertently, like uh, causing a spike in car prices. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, let's talk interest rates. Uh, interest rates have gone up. They uh, let's talk about what the Fed's doing. You know, Fed tightening. Let's kind of shift there for a little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, it's kind of how we got here. How we're going to get out of here is uh, the Fed lowered rates to stave off inflation, which they maintained easy money policies for stay stave off a recession. Sorry. Uh, um, they ma- maintain the easy money policy even after we reopened or started to reopen enough um, <clears throat> to where demand is high. We have high high rates of savings. We have very low savings percentage interest rates. Um, so people are going to spend and not save, which is mm-hmm. the intent of lowering the rates in 2020. Now they have to raise rates because mm-hmm. it's hopefully getting the opposite effect is getting people to save more and not spend as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why interest rates in the last few months really have, have really jumped up. Right. Um, so that's, that's to get people to spend less, buy less of those EVs, take less vacations, do less, spend less. Right. Um, hopefully that does enough damage to the demand side to meet supply so where we're not getting gouged at you know car dealerships or or car rental places right i don't i don't mean to say gouge but they're they're playing supply and demand game too right Mm -hmm. if prices go down inflation should come down Mm -hmm. and if the cost of borrowing goes up that should put downward pressure on that next purchase you know, if I'm going to buy a car at 0% interest or 4% interest, because that deal is now gone, I might think about it again, right? Yeah. So mortgage rates are what? They touched 5%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my first mortgage in 2010 was 5.25. I never thought I'd see that again. Right. Right. Mortgages are interesting though, because you can just refinance. So I think obviously you have this, this cost thing, right? Say you have a million dollar mortgage at 5% costs more than at 3% or two and a half. So that's just math. So more of your money is going to service the interest on the big payment, meaning less of your money can be used for other things, whether that be gas, travel, food, next car, whatever. And so that just creates this inherent slowdown because you have less money to spend with a larger interest payment. So I, I, I totally get that. Um, but I think what's interesting is that, uh, you can always just refi. So it's kind of a, if I am at the bottom at 5%, that's okay. Cause I'm locked in for yeah. a number of years or 30 years, depending on what type of mortgage you did. If rates go down, you'll just refinance and then lock in a lower rate. So it seems like the, the housing market and probably topic for a totally another time, like who would leave their house at two and a half percent, two and a quarter percent. We have clients at 1.99. And it's, it's like, you would have to pay so much money to get that person out of that house. And so we're sort of incentivizing, okay, I'll leave, but I'm going to keep this house. And now it becomes a rental. And I know we have a housing shortage problem in this country. We haven't been building enough. Uh, and so we're creating this shortage, which is then pushing upward pressure on prices. 
we don't have the answer today. We'll just have to, you know, the data over time see. But I think it'll be interesting to see how high interest rates really go and how it does have an impact on housing because we just simply have a shortage and we now have lessened the incentive for people to sell their house who are locked in at a significantly below market rate. Yeah, and buying, selling a house, you still have to live somewhere. So you have to buy a house. You have to buy a house, yeah. It's more expensive and your property tax bill probably has gone up because the difference in price. Sure. Unless you're severely downgrading. But if you're downgrading, you're probably paying the same as the price as you, of that old house you just sold, right? So yeah. um, there, I don't think there's a win other than you know uh people who own multiple properties and renting them out because rents are much higher yeah my prediction is that someday we'll be able to move our mortgages here in the u.s so currently if you sell of course you can't take your mortgage with you but possibly they're real in other countries you can do that oh yeah, so just unique to the U.S. where we have to re-up re our mortgage when we buy a house. Which will be interesting, right? Because it'll totally change the model because banks know that you buy a 30-year mortgage and you're probably not going to stay there for 30 years. You know, I don't know the percentages, but it's a very low percent of people that actually pay 360 checks and then the mortgage is done. So the bank knows that whatever rate they locked in will likely change in the future, whether that be up or down. Um, and so that's priced in, right? It's priced in that most loans won't, won't last that long. Um, and in some cases, when you move, you have to accept a higher interest rate, which is probably the case here forward for everybody that are, that's selling and buying. Um, so possibly the fix to that is allowing people to actually take their mortgage with them. Now it says right in your mortgage documents, this mortgage cannot go with you. It, it, it's gone when you're gone. Um, but- I never knew that. Yeah, that seems pretty cool. I think, I think it could work. I don't know. So, and then, and then you would, you'd more or less, I don't know if I want to say fix, but you would at least um, change the incentive model of I'm going to keep that rental because I'm at 2% on it because it was my house that I was living in. Right. Um, and, and, and it would be an easier sale uh, yeah. to, to take the loan with you. So well, interesting stuff. That's all the time we have today. Um, thanks. Thanks for the conversation. This was really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Had a blast. We will absolutely do this again. I think, uh, you know, if we're at three listeners this time, we'll get to six next time and we'll just keep doubling, <laughs> doubling and doubling. And um, if you have a question, send it on in. We are happy to roundtable it. Um, and uh, until next time. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.